Welcome to the Hope in the Hard Times sermon series. I preached this series of messages back in 2012 at the Metropolitan Bible Church, shortly after I'd gone through treatments for cancer. Now in 2020, as we face hard times related to the coronavirus, we at Heritage College and Seminary are re-releasing the sermon set, along with a companion study guide. As you dig deeper into God's Word, you will receive hope in the hard times. Last Friday, we celebrated Remembrance Day as we took time to remember those who have served our country by serving in our country's military. And you know, I was thinking how we as uh, the the citizens and even the, the landed immigrants of this land have great reason to be incredibly grateful for those who serve us in our military. They, they serve us often at great cost to themselves. Some of our veterans come home with painful and permanent scars. Some of them don't come home except come home to be buried. But even those who come home alive, some of them carry permanent reminders of their service. For some, the scars are physical, but for many, the scars are emotional. They've seen things, they've experienced things that they cannot shake, and they can barely share. But their suffering, though, though painful, has not been pointless. Their sacrifice in serving our country has promoted peace and freedom that we enjoy and treasure. And Remembrance Day helps us remember the fact that suffering can be painful, but it is not pointless. In fact, that's true of suffering in general. That's true of hard times in general. They're very painful, but they're not meant to be pointless. Or or to put it another way, suffering or hard times have side effects, some of which are negative, but some of which are positive. It's the way it goes with hard times. It's the way it goes with suffering. There can be side effects, some negative, but some positive. That was one of the lessons that I've learned over these past months going through the journey I've been on. Especially came clear to me uh, facing a couple surgeries uh, early on last winter when I had to have a couple surgeries back to back. And I learned about side effects. In fact, before you have surgery, some of you know this, you have what's called a pre-op appointment and you sit down with a nurse and the nurse kind of fills you in on what's going to happen to you and they, they kind of talk about what the expected hopeful outcomes are of the surgery and then they brace you for some of the side effects some of the negative side effects that will come as a result of the surgery. Some of those side effects are short-term, and they go away, thankfully. But sometimes some of the side effects are long-term, and they linger. And I remember hearing that, and it's, it's rather sobering. But what the nurse couldn't tell me, and what she didn't tell me, was the fact that this same surgery, this same kind of difficult season in my life, would have some positive side effects. You see, God had in store some positive side effects in the midst of a hard time. Some of those positive side effects that came out of the experience were were relational. There were some relationally positive side effects. What I went through drew me closer to my wife, Linda, to my children, to my church family. Some of the positive side effects that I experienced were spiritual. What I went through drew me closer to God. I found a greater dependence upon Him, a greater urgency in my prayers, a greater desire for a holy life. 
And that's the way it is with hard times. They have side effects, but some of those side effects are very positive. We're in a series here called Hope in the Hard Times, and we've been looking at various passages in Scripture that give some of the hopeful things that God does in hard times. Today, I want to talk to you about side effects, the side effects of suffering. We're going to look at a passage that reminds us that while there are painful side effects of suffering, and the passage we see does not minimize that, The passage we're going to look at, though, reminds us that there are positive side effects of suffering. God is always working for the good of those who love him. And today, if you are kind of wading through, kind of trudging through some hard times in your own life, my prayer has been that today would be a great encouragement to you, because maybe today will help you lift up your eyes and see again that God has something good in the midst of times that aren't that there are side effects that are for your good and that are actually healthy and positive. We're going to see all of that this morning in a passage that I find incredibly fascinating. It's recorded for us in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Today I want to talk to you about the side effects of suffering and to remind all of us that while we tend to focus on the negative side effects, and there usually are some, that God also has some positive side effects in mind to the hard times that he allows into your life and mine. Would you let me pray for us? And then I invite you to look with me at the text. Let's pray first. Father, this morning, we do not want to take some kind of flippant, casual approach to suffering as if we can just skim over it or skate by it. Today, as we think of those who have served our country at great cost, we are reminded every time we see a casket come home or every time we see a vet who is still limping, we are reminded that suffering has side effects that are very damaging and difficult. But I thank you that you are the great redeeming God, that out of the ashes you bring beauty, and out of the suffering you bring sanctification, you bring change. And I'm asking this day that you will help me as a pastor to share your word and my heart with these dear people and that you will use your word today in a very personal and powerful way in our hearts to show us some of what you're up to in the midst of difficult times. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of 1 Peter was written to some Christians who were living through a very hard time. These folks that Peter addresses had all the normal hard times that you and I face, all the normal things in life that can be challenging. But on top of that, these people were living through a time of persecution. They were being pummeled for their faith in Jesus. They were being criticized and ostracized and penalized for being followers of Christ. So that added to their suffering. So Peter writes to them, and in our passage, beginning in chapter 4, he reminds them that even in this difficult time, God is up to something good, that there are actually side effects, positive side effects that come out of painful suffering. In verse 1, he reminds them and he reminds us of something you need to hang on to in the middle of hard times. Look at it as I read verse 1. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourself with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. 
Peter has something to say to these folks, and God has something to say to us in this verse. I would put it this way. I would say that this verse is reminding you that suffering can affect a healthy change in your attitude. One of the things that God is up to when he lets you go through hard times is he wants to adjust your attitude. And he uses suffering to kind of trigger a change. Suffering can affect a very healthy, positive change in your attitude. Did you, did you see the focus on attitude there? If you look at verse 1 again, see the word attitude. In the NIV, it comes out. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude. Same attitude. And the same attitude there in context is the attitude that Jesus had. Because he begins by saying, since Christ suffered in his body, you need to have the same attitude. So he's saying, listen, when you're going through hard times, you need the same attitude that Christ did. And suffering is one of the ways God works on your attitude. Now, if you're going to have the same attitude as Jesus had, you're going to have to consciously choose it because it doesn't necessarily come automatically or easily. It's not the default attitude that we have in hard times. I know that because Peter says here, you're going to have to arm yourself with this attitude. Did you see that? Verse 1, since Christ has suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude. Arm yourself. He uses there a military metaphor, which is fitting for our Remembrance Day celebration. He says, arm arm yourself. It's like you're going to go into a battle right now. You have hard times coming your way. It's going to be a fight. So you better get armed. You need to be armed and dangerous right now. You need to outfit yourself with a certain attitude. Now that implies that you're going to have to choose to put it on, just like a soldier chooses to put on their armor or their outfit. So you have to choose to put on this attitude. And suffering is to be a prompt to say to you, hey, it's time to have a new attitude. Same attitude Jesus had. Well, you say, well, exactly what does that look like? What kind of attitude am I supposed to have going into suffering? Well, he tells you in verse 1, two features of this attitude. Two two features, two characteristics of the kind of attitude you need when you're going through hard times. The first thing that he tells you is right off the bat there is that this attitude that you're supposed to adopt to arm yourself with is an attitude that says that suffering is a part of following Jesus. Suffering is a part of following Jesus. It it, kind of comes with the territory. You're going to be a follower of Jesus. Well, then suffering is a part of that. And you need to have an attitude that says, I'm expecting some of this. Now, I say that because did you notice in verse 1, he begins by talking about Jesus suffering. And then he says, since Christ suffered in his body, then you're to have the same attitude. In other words, he says, listen, suffering was part of the will of God for Jesus. You agree with that? It was by the will of God that he suffered. And and Peter is saying, listen, you need to have the attitude that says suffering can be part of the will of God for you. You say, suffering is part of the will of God? In fact, Peter says that explicitly. Go back to chapter 3, verse 17. You'll see it. Chapter 3, verse 17 He says, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. He's saying there are times in the will of God that you will suffer even for doing good. 
So if you're going to have the right attitude, you're going to need to adopt it that says suffering is a part of following Christ. It's not an aberration. It's an expectation. Now, let me ask you, is that an easy attitude for you to have? Not for me. I think most of us kind of assume that God wants to spare us from suffering, or if he does allow it in, he wants to get it out of there as quickly as possible. But maybe we're going to have to have an attitude adjustment that says it's not always that way. Suffering can be part of following Jesus. And if I'm going to make this thing through, I'm going to need to adopt and arm myself with that attitude. Now, you may say, well, why would God choose in his will to let some of his people suffer? Why would God have that be part of his will for you or for me? Well, Peter tells you in verse 1, and this brings us to the second feature of the attitude we need to have. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Now, look what comes next. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. The second feature of the attitude we are to adopt is not only that suffering is part of following Christ, but catch this, suffering can produce greater freedom from sin. Suffering can produce a greater freedom from sin. Suffering can have a sanctifying effect on your life. That's why it can be part of God's will. Isn't it interesting in verse 1 where he says, he who has suffered in his body, speaking of that physical suffering, that emotional suffering that we go through, he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Some translations read, has ceased from sin. Now, now the Greek word that's translated done there, done with sin, the Greek word uh, has the idea of restraint, restraining something, or calming it down, or quieting down. The same Greek word translated done here in verse 1 shows up in Luke chapter 8, where we hear of Jesus rebuking the winds and the waves. Remember that? And they calmed down. They subsided, is how the NIV translates it. Same word, subsided. Same word shows up in Acts chapter 20 in verse 1, where there's this uproar, this riot in the city of Ephesus. And it says, after the uproar had quieted down. That's the word for done. So here's the deal. When it says, he who has suffered in his body is done with sin, it's saying that suffering can actually help sin quiet down inside of us. It can restrain sin inside of us. See, suffering, and be clear on this, suffering doesn't make you sinless, but it can help you to sin less. Suffering doesn't remove all sin from you, but it can restrain sin within you. It can pull it back. Suffering doesn't make you spiritually perfect. But listen, suffering can help you make spiritual progress. It can actually help you grow up into likeness to Christ. Suffering can do that. In fact, by the way, we saw this several weeks ago when we talked about the dark sides, dealing with the dark sides. Back then, we saw that sometimes God uses hard times to help us discover our own dark sides and then deal with them. Suffering is to have this sanctifying effect. And what's fascinating is any kind of suffering can have this kind of effect. It can actually help give you a greater freedom from sin. It's interesting in our passage here, when Peter writes to these folks, 
they are suffering, it seems, not because they've done something wrong, but because they've done something right. They've been faithfully following Jesus, and it's getting them in a world of hurt. And yet, even though they haven't done anything wrong, Peter says to them in verse 1, hey, listen, your suffering can help you to be done with sin. It can help you to sin less. So what I take from that is, is simply this. Any kind of suffering, whether it's deserved or undeserved, whether it's caused by you or caused by someone else, whether it uh, comes because of your own foolish choices or whether it comes because of your faithfulness to Christ, any kind of suffering can have a sanctifying effect if, if you adopt the right attitude. So that's where Peter starts off. He goes, hey, listen, you want to you wanna see one of the positive side effects of suffering? It comes if suffering triggers you to change your attitude. Now, let me ask you a very personal question. You just answer this inside your heart. How's your attitude towards hard times? Like, like what's your mental outlook? What's your worldview about hard times? Do you see them as part of following Jesus? Do you see that as part of the Christian life? If not, then you have to adjust that attitude a bit, right? And do you see the hard times as being used by God to produce a greater freedom from sin in your life? If you don't see it that way, Peter's saying this is the change that needs to happen. Suffering can affect a change, a healthy change in your attitude. Now, here's the cool thing. As you begin to say, God, I, I don't have that attitude regularly. I see suffering just as a negative thing. But if you would help me, I will start to look at it as something that can be redemptive, that you want to change me. So I'm, I'm adopting a new attitude as you help me. Listen, as you adopt that new attitude, it leads to a second positive side effect in your life. There's like a domino effect that kicks in. I know that because verse 2 talks about a second side effect that's very positive, And it happens once you change your attitude. Look at verse 2, if you will. It says, as a result, as a result, as a result of what? Well, as a result of changing your attitude to see suffering as part of the sanctifying thing that God's up to, as a result of that, look what happens next. He, he the person who has this attitude, does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Ah, you know what I take out of that? Suffering not only can, can affect a healthy change in your attitude, but here's the second thing. A change in your attitude can affect a healthy change in your desires. Like once your attitude changes, then you start changing in your appetites, your desires. Did you notice that how verse 2 focuses on the idea of desires? And he says, when you have this attitude, some of your desires will go down and others of your desires will go up. Some will get weaker and some will get stronger. And the desires that go down, that decrease, are, look at it, he calls them evil human desires. He says that once you have this attitude that says suffering can be used by God to help me get freedom from sin, what happens is that your desires start to change and you actually have less of a pull towards those evil human desires. Now, not all human desires are evil. God gave us passions and he gave us desires. 
but some of them are tainted and wrong and toxic. And Peter is saying that those desires start to go down. And look what goes up. Verse 2, they will want to rather live for the will of God. So he says this attitude starts bringing a change in your desires. You have less of a desire for those old temptations, more of a desire to live the rest of your life for the will of God. I'll tell you what, I experienced this over these last months. When I was first diagnosed with cancer back last February, my, my initial hope was, dear God, please let them get in, get a surgery, get this done, and if you would will, heal me and get me up going as soon as possible. But that wasn't God's plan for my, for my life. This thing dragged on to multiple surgeries and radiation, and I had to realize that God must have a different and bigger agenda than just getting me through this as fast as I can. So I had to adjust my attitude to say, Lord, okay, what is it that you're trying to do in my life? And I began to see that part of it is that he wanted to change me. He wanted to transform me. So I adjusted my attitude as best I could to say, God, I, I, do, want, I do want this to have a sanctifying effect in my life. And as my attitude began to change, I found a change that went into my desires. Some of the fleshly temptations started to recede, become less. And I sensed within my heart this growing desire to live the rest of my life, however long it was, for the will of God. It was an amazing thing. I could, I could sense it within me. And about that time, I read a very fascinating article by a pastor named John Piper. And John Piper wrote a little piece called Don't Waste Your Cancer. It's a really interesting piece. And, and he has 10 ways that people waste their cancer. And, and they all hit me in different ways, but one of them that hit me strongly was this one. I think it was about number nine on his list. Piper wrote this. You will waste your cancer if you treat sin as casually as you did before. And then he writes this. Are your besetting sins as attractive as they were before you had cancer? If so, you are wasting your cancer. Cancer is designed to destroy the appetite for sin. Pride, greed, lust, hatred, unforgiveness, impatience, laziness, procrastination. All of these are the adversaries that cancer is meant to attack. And I like this next line. He said, don't just think of battling against cancer. Also think of battling with cancer. Because all of these things are worse enemies than cancer. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that... If you go through cancer, and it applies to any hard time, what God wants to do is actually kind of decrease those desires towards the old sins that you used to treat rather casually. And he wants to use that hard time to give you a growing disgust for those sins and a growing desire for his will. See, it's one of the positive side effects of hard times is that God actually wants to change your desires, which comes after you change your attitude. So it starts with a change of attitude, and it moves to a change of appetite. But we're not done yet, because once those desires start to change, guess what changes next? Your behavior. And that's what he talks about in verse 3 and 4. Look at verse 3 and 4. I mean, the change really starts to kick in now, and it starts to change your actions, your behavior. Look at verse 3. 
He says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. Peter is saying this. He starts off by saying, listen, suffering can affect a healthy change in your attitude. And as your attitude starts to change, that change in attitude can affect a healthy change in your desires. And, and as your desires start to change, then a change in your desires can affect a healthy change in your behavior. Do, do you see the progression there? It goes from attitude to appetite to actions. And suddenly you start finding you're living differently than you used to live. Verse 3 talks, it emphasizes behavior. Do you see how it talks about what you do, the word do is a huge word in verse 3. Do you see that? For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagan choose to do. And verse 4, he says, you don't do those things anymore. Suffering has actually changed you so that you don't do what you used to do in the way you used to do it. In fact, in verse 3, in verse 3, he lists some of the old things that they used to do that they're not doing. It's quite a list, isn't it? Verse 3. He's going, you've had a change in behavior in terms of, like, you're not doing these things. Debauchery, verse 3, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. He's saying, hey, listen, you used to run with the party crowd. And you used to just kind of run wild with it. In fact, in verse 4, he talks about a flood of dissipation. You see that at the end of verse 4? Literally, the Greek says, an excess of recklessness. He goes, some of you used to use this. You lived on the wild side. And then you came to Christ, and you started having some hard times in your life. And God used those hard times to start changing you. And you developed a new attitude that said, I guess this is part of following Christ. And he has a bigger picture. He wants to change me. He wants to, he wants to give me a greater freedom from sin. And as your attitude changed, started to change your desires. And suddenly you found that you had a desire more and more to do God's will. And when that desire started by the power of the Spirit, it changed your behaviors. And some of these old behaviors used to live on the wild side. And now you're going, I'm not plunging into that the way I used to. Now, by the way, some of you read that list and you go, I never lived that way. Man, I, I've never been the carouser and all of that stuff. Well, let me remind you, this is not an exhaustive sin list, right? There are more refined sins that some of us trafficked in. In fact, when Paul talks about the list of the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5, he lists more socially acceptable sins like uh, selfish ambition or jealousy or hatred, or, or factions, or dissensions. Those come in the same category. Suddenly, it's like you're not doing those like you used to do those things. Because God has started to bring this change, started in your attitude, moved to your appetites, and now it's filtering down to your actions. Now, you may at this point be thinking, wow, I guess suffering is totally, like the side effects of it are actually quite spiritually good. Bring it on. Well, you're probably not saying that, but uh, <laughs> you said, I can see that this is actually God has a good thing up. Well, Peter ends our passage by saying, but let's be realistic. There is also a negative side of this. 
Because as you begin to change in your behavior, that produces side effects. In fact, in verses 4 and 5, Peter tells you one more thing that you do need to know to kind of keep it all in balance. Peter is going to tell you in verse 4 and 5 that a change in your behavior can affect painful changes in your relationships. A change in your behavior can affect painful changes in your relationships. Like when you start to change from your attitude to your appetites to your actions, listen, not everybody's going to like the change. Have you figured that one out yet? That's what Peter says in verse 4. Look at him. He says, They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. So here, here you are. You've changed your, your attitude, and it's changed some of your desires, and it's changed your behavior. And you're thinking, I'm starting to live more for God. Peter's saying there's going to be some people that used to be friends with you who are not so good with the changes they see in you. Some of them are just kind of confused. Verse 4 says, they think it's strange. Like they're going, hey, what's up with you? You used to be a whole lot more fun. Come on, man, we're going out with the boys again. And they're just, they're just baffled. Why wouldn't you want to be in on this? Some of them are not just confused. They're like condemning. Because it says at the end of verse 4, they heap abuse on you. Some of them don't just kind of go, well, that's good, good on you, brother. Some of them are going, you are nuts. And they start maybe giving you little nicknames. Or they start uh, kind of teasing you and trash talking you a bit. Or they ostracize you. There can be some painful changes in your relationships. That's one of the side effects of suffering. Changes you, but also sometimes changes the dynamic. Some people within your own family may say, you've gone off the deep end, man. What is up with you? Let me ask you, how do you handle that? Because on one level, you're really happy with the changes you're seeing in your life. It's, going, it's changing the way you live, and you're going, I'm not, I'm not doing those things I used to do. But on the other hand, you got some people who are giving you grief. How do you handle that? Well, Peter tells you in verse 5, you remember something. You remember Judgment Day. <laughs> I bet you you didn't expect that one. But that's where Peter goes. He goes, when you're in the middle of this and you're experiencing some painful changes, you remember Judgment Day. Look at it in verse 5. That's what he says next. But they, those heaping abuse on you, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see what he's saying? He's saying, you know what you do when you're starting to get grief from people who don't like the changes in you? You remember that it's not too far in the future that there's coming judgment day. In fact, he says in verse 5, the one who is ready to judge. The book of James, James talks about the judges at the door. Like judgment day is a whole lot closer than people think. And, and God is going to, through Jesus, we are told Jesus actually executes the judgment is going to judge the living, verse 5 says, and the dead. It's like nobody gets out of judgment day. Nobody dodges judgment day. And he says, as you are starting to get some grief, you remember judgment day. Now, what's interesting, last week when we had Ajith Fernando here for our missions conference, on Friday morning, he met with the rest of the missionaries that were here and some of our pastoral team and Ajith spoke to us for a few minutes. And on that day, it was very interesting. He only had one message. He talked about Judgment Day. And Ajith said this. He said, you know, 
Every page in Scripture, that's what he said, every page in Scripture is founded on or mentions the idea of the judgment of God. But then he said to us this, here in the West, we have largely seen the idea of Judgment Day as antiquated and a bit awkward. You know, it's just kind of like we're, we're, we're a bit uncomfortable with this idea of telling people Judgment Day is coming. It, it seems like from another era, right? It's like, well, no, 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 God is loving. And as Jesus said, but every page in Scripture talks about Judgment Day. And then he said this, those of us who are suffering, right now his wife is going through serious chemo for cancer, and Ajith lives in Sri Lanka, a country that has lived through civil war, where Christians have a very difficult time. Ajith said this, those of us going through hard times, when we remember judgment day is coming, it actually helps us. It gives us strength to say, I'm hanging on for the approval of the judge, because his opinion matters a whole lot more than these people around me. And then he said this, and remembering that these people around me are going to face the judge actually gives me compassion for those who are healing, heaping abuse on me. And suddenly I start, instead of, uh, you know, feeling defensive or angry, I'm, I'm thinking, you know what, you're going to have to give an account to God for that. And Paul said in Romans 2, there will be wrath for those on judgment day who have resisted and rejected Jesus. It's going to be terrible. And as Jesus says, when I remember Judgment Day, it helps me to be strong and it gives me compassion for others. In fact, it moves us into mission towards them. And that's where Peter ends in verse 6. Look at, look at where he ends in verse 6. He says, after talking about Judgment Day, he says, For this reason, for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in, with regard to the spirit. Peter is saying, hey, listen, the only hope for people as we get close to judgment day is to give them the gospel. And so these very people who are making my life miserable, Peter says, knowing judgment day is coming should move me with compassion the way it has for Christians for years. And I want to give them the gospel because the gospel is the only way out of judgment day. The gospel tells us that Jesus came and took our judgment. He bore all of your sins on the cross. He bore the sins of the whole world on the cross. 1 John 2, 2 says that. And anyone now who puts their faith in Jesus, who comes under the shelter of his death through faith in him, receives pardon now, but it will be affirmed and publicly proclaimed on judgment day. And if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, one day when you stand before Christ, the judge of all the earth, he'll say to you, come enter into the joy of your master. Hey, wait, weren't you wicked at one time? Haven't you done a lot of sins? Yes, you have. So have I. But you've come to the very one who can save you. The judge of the earth is the savior of the earth. And if you've come to Christ, you believe the gospel, there's hope. And once you know that, once you know that, you start telling people the gospel, even those who make life hard for you. Because verse 6 says that though the, those who hear the gospel and have died, they died, it says they were judged according to men in regard to the body. In other words, the wages of sin is death. We do die physically. But those who believe the gospel live according to God with regard to the spirit. And suddenly, suddenly what's happened in your life is that God is transforming you. Think of, think of the change. 
You're going through hard times and you choose to arm yourself with an attitude that Jesus had. And you say, God, as you help me, I'm going to believe that this suffering, though painful, is meant to be productive. Would you, would you please work in my life and give me a greater freedom from sin? And you start having that attitude. Then what happens is it starts to change your desires. And suddenly you find that the old sins aren't as appealing to you. And you have this stronger desire to live your life, however long you got it, for the glory and the will of God. And that desire then begins to translate in your behaviors, and you start living differently. You don't do the things you used to do. You start giving yourself in the ways of Christ. And yes, it has some effect, and some people pull away from you. But instead of being angry and retaliating, you have this sense like they're headed for judgment. And I don't deserve mercy, and they don't, and they need the gospel. And suddenly, misery moves you to mission. So God is changing us. And he uses hard times to do it. So let me ask you a question as we close. Are you willing, are you willing to let God help you adjust your attitude? Because that's where it all starts. Are you willing to say to God, God, in this hard time that I'm in, I'm not enjoying it, it is painful, it is difficult, but I'm choosing to believe that somehow you have a plan that is, that is for my sanctification, my holiness, you want to change me. Will you adopt that attitude? Because if you do, it'll start to trigger some other positive side effects in your desires and in your behavior and in your mission towards the gospel. I want to close today by just inviting you to pray silently. And maybe some of us here today need to ask God for an attitude adjustment. Maybe we, we, we might need to say, Lord, I confess to you, that's not the way I'm looking at my suffering. I just want to get r- rid of it, get done with it, get released from it. But maybe today you need to say, Lord, until you release me, until you heal me, until you deliver me, would you change me? Would you use this painful time in my life to help me to to get done with some of these sins, change my desires, change my behaviors, and then give me a heart of mission for those who are headed for judgment day? Why not let's all talk to him and invite him to do that work in our lives. Let's pray. Father, this morning, in the quietness of this moment, we confess to you that that we have a hard time with hard times. And we just like to be done with them. We would like life to be smooth and easy. And yet somehow in your will, you you desire us to be changed. So as you allow things into our life that are painful for us, I ask that they would also be productive in us. And I pray that as we Adopt the attitude that you ask us to adopt. You would allow us to see the changes in our desires and our behavior. And we pray that we would live so that one day when we stand before the judge, we'll hear his words of commendation, and we will be eternally glad. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about online courses at Heritage College and Seminary, visit our website at discoverheritage.ca or visit our personal website at rickandlindareed.com.